You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Form Now. My name is Dr. Ben Akers, and I'm the Executive Director of Formed and an Associate Professor of Theology here at the Augustan Institute Graduate School of Theology. Joining me today is Dr. Elizabeth Klein, one of my colleagues and friends here at the Augustan Institute. And today we're going to talk about the feast day of St. Ambrose, December 7th. We celebrate this great father of the church, this great formator in Augustine's lives and in so many lives as well that have echoed down throughout the centuries. Before we get into the topic today, I wanted to thank you for uh, your support of the Augustine Institute, for your support of the work of Formed, especially those who have joined Mission Circle. Your support, your monthly donations are what makes these shows possible. So thank you very much for that. We're talking about St. Ambrose today, and he is considered one of the four fathers of the church, of the Western church, along with St. Augustine, St. Gregory the Great, St. Jerome. These are four pillars of the Western church who had such an important role in the formation of Christian culture and the, the formation of Christian thought throughout the centuries. And so we want to tell you about his story and the influence he had on Augustine's life, but also the influence he can have in our life as well. So, uh, Liz, could you tell us a little bit about Ambrose and, and was he always Christian or, how, you know, what do we know about Ambrose? Yeah, so that was a great lead in. I think Ambrose, uh, along with Gregory the Great, maybe isn't as well known in the past as, as they were in the past. You know, if you look at a lot of art uh you know, throughout the ages, you'll have these four doctors often together uh, in art. So when you see Jerome and Augustine there, the other two people are probably Gregory the Great and Ambrose. Um, so Ambrose was raised in a Christian household, uh, but he followed his father's footsteps in being a politician. So Ambrose was actually the governor of Milan and surrounding area, which at that time was the capital of the Roman Empire. I had moved from Rome to Milan, so that's where the court was. So he was a very important politician uh, in a very important a city at the time. Uh, and when the Bishop of Milan died, there was a great conflict because at the time, that was the time of the Arian controversy. So some of our watcher, some of our listeners yeah, may know. All that? That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the Arian controversy. So essentially, this was a theological controversy that was, you know, a very hot topic in the fourth century. And it was about how we can define um, Jesus as divine. Is he fully divine, just like God the Father is divine? Is he sort of semi-divine. And so the Arian uh, group, they more lean towards saying, well, Jesus is is um, sort of the firstborn of all creation. He's really important. He's kind of this semi-divine figure, but he's not fully divine like God the Father is. And the Nicene uh, group, uh, it's coming from, you know, the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed, uh, the Orthodox group, they said that Jesus was fully divine. Um, and so when the bishop died, then these two groups were, you know, having a debate over who should be the bishop. You know, obviously one group wants a more Arian friendly bishop. The other group wants a more Nicene friendly bishop. Same old thing, you know, like we would have today uh, with different camps. Uh, and so Ambrose as the governor kind of comes into the church to, you know, oversee this thing. He's worried there's going to be, you know, a brawl breakout. And this all of a sudden, you know, people start chanting that Ambrose should be the bishop. Uh, and so Ambrose, who's a who's a governor, who's not even who's not even baptized. You know, often Christians at the time were not baptized until later in life um, for many different reasons. Not even baptized, and he gets elected bishop. He tries to run away, but he's not able to escape, <laughs> and he's you know baptized, uh, ordained, and installed as bishop within a week. 
<laughs> okay, that's a, that's a whirlwind of a of a entrance to the Christian life to go from like a Christian formation with his family, living a Christian life, but not being actually baptized. So he wouldn't have received the sacrament of the Eucharist or, you know, confession yet. So he goes from being, you know, the governor and, and being in charge politically to being in charge spiritually. Uh, that's amazing. W did this happen often in the early church? Yeah, so the election of bishops, now we think about it as very being very formalized, um, sort of top-down thing, but that's actually fairly modern, and in, in the ancient world, sort of bishop by acclaim was not an uncommon practice, and Augustine, likewise, was ordained sort of by force, like he's passing through uh, Hippo, and the bishop of Hippo was not a native Latin speaker, he really wanted someone else to be able to help him and take over as bishop when he died, uh, and everybody knew Augustine was a famous speaker, and he sort of just was like, ordained, you know, we're going to ordain you. And apparently was like crying because he knew, you know, what that would mean. <laughs> that would be hard. What an incredible change, you know, 1700 years later now, uh, can we even imagine putting a political leader in charge of somebody, you know, within the church today? I mean, he must have lived an exemplary Christian life as part of that community. Yeah, I mean, he was known, he was a very popular politician. He was known to be very fair and was known to rule well. And I guess everybody thought that even though he was known to be Nicene, that he was sort of very even-handed and friendly to, or not friendly to, fair to his opponents. Uh, and everybody just thought he would do a good job. So they just, you know, <laughs> he was just chosen. Uh, but he really took on that role, um, you know, with, with his whole life. He gave away his possessions to the poor. He lived a chaste life. He took on an ascetic practice. He really poured himself into reading theology in the Bible. I mean, hitherto he was a politician, so that wasn't really, didn't really occupy the majority of his time. Um, but he could read Greek, which wasn't um, that common in the West. Uh, and so he read a lot of Greek theologians and brought a lot of that Greek theology into the Western consciousness because uh, he took time to study. And there's a, it's a very famous story from the confessions that Augustine tells you know, Augustine coming to hear him, this wonderful preacher, he wants to get his ear and talk to him. Uh, and so he goes to his office, you know, after mass kind of thing. And he finds Ambrose reading a book silently. And Augustine comments on how amazing this is, because in the ancient world, reading would usually not be silent. Usually you would read out loud. And so the fact that he was able to read silently to himself for hours at a time really impressed and amazed Augustine. And he records this for us. That's neat. I want, we have an echo in the uh, New Testament under Acts chapter 8 when uh, Philip is transported in the Holy Spirit and he's walking by the carriage and he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading aloud mm -hmm. because that was the common way to read, was to read aloud. And, and, and Ambrose is an innovator in that, in, in, um, in uh, reading silently. But just, just the detail in that story, too, that I wanted to point out is that Augustine must have known that Ambrose had an open door that he'd be able mm -hmm. to go and have access to Ambrose. And to me, you know, we're all so busy in our lives. We all have our, our lives scheduled and we have calendars at work. We have shared calendars at home. But to, that Ambrose made himself available to his flock, the, the people mm -hmm. that you know, could always have access to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, obviously his, his fame was widespread because Augustine knew to come and sit in the back of, uh, of mass and listen to Ambrose at the time that Augustine started attending, uh, you know, mass, he was, he was not baptized. He was sort of still maybe, maybe like the seeker phase, <laughs> you know, he's, he's just kind of 
interested in returning to the faith of his mother, Monica, uh, and he's heard Ambrose is a very impressive speaker. He had heard that some of the Manichaeans, the group Christian group he had belonged to, sort of quasi-Christian group that Augustine belonged to previously, he'd heard about their famous speakers and had been very disappointed when he met one of them in, per in person. And so this is con contrasted in the confessions with when he meets Ambrose and how impressed he is with Ambrose and impressed with um, you know, his speaking ability, but ultimately that what he spoke was the truth. When he when he heard the sort of Manichaean, the famous Manichaean speaker, he thought he spoke very well, but that he wasn't able to answer his questions and that he didn't speak the truth. And this is, is the opposite of Ambrose, who both spoke well and spoke the truth. When we read this book in a class that I teach here at the Augusta Institute called Discipleship in the Christian Life, we read the confessions. And that is something that the students notice as well, that uh, Ambrose takes Augustine's questions seriously. While when, he, when Augustine went to the Manichaean, he was kind of blown off. Oh, don't think about it too hard. It's, it's okay. And, and there wasn't a substance there because there wasn't the truth there. But with Ambrose, he saw uh, a man who was actually genuinely interested in him and, and generally interested in giving him the truths of the faith. Mm -hmm. And like, I think what Ambrose really models is, is discipline. You know, what he, ha he has this, this Episcopal authority basically thrown on him in a moment's notice. And rather than, you know, complaining or, you, you know, kind of phoning it in, or he really just takes it on and becomes a very disciplined student of the faith, a disciplined preacher. He brings all this skill that he had from a different mode of life to ministry. And I think this probably resonates with many people who do ministry on the side or who change careers from doing something into ministry that if you bring that same discipline, if you bring the skills that you acquired, you know, in other other career settings, that that is a huge asset uh, to the church and that lay people have this, you know, um, specific charism of acquiring skills in the world that we bring to the church that Ambrose, who was, you know, lay not even baptized, uh, brought this great gift to the church uh, when it was recognized by the church. That's beautifully put because we do need people to, 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 to the ladies' role, distinctive role in the church, in the world, is to transform the world, the secular order, to bring more order and God's presence and the inbreaking of grace in people's lives. But we also have people that are called to, they were doctors, they were teachers, uh, you know, great business leaders, and they bring those skills either full-time or part-time as advisors into the church so we can actually have best practices because there's nothing wrong with being professionally competent. That's actually a good thing to do uh, as long as, 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 as well as pastorally competent. So it is wonderful when you see someone skilled in something of the world and be able to use those gifts for the church. Yeah, there's a, the, probably the most famous story that you may know about Ambrose has to do with precisely this. You know, he, as the governor, he's used to going head to head with the emperor. He knows, you know, politics. He knows how to stand up against a strong, a strong personality. And so this, uh, this famous story is that uh, when the emperor, who I think is Theodosius I, so, you know, you can Google it after <laughs> the emperor, uh, he, he's involved in this massacre of 7,000 people. Um, and Ambrose excommunicates him and he actually refuses to let him back into communion and back into the church until he's done public penance for a number of months. And he sort of exhorts him to follow the example of David uh, in being a sort of publicly repentant of this, this terrible crime. And that's, this is always taken as a sort of um, 
a sort of example of the how powerful the church had become and how important the church was in the Roman Empire. But I think it particularly points to Ambrose's character because there are other instances where bishop and emperor go head to head and the bishop doesn't come out as well as Ambrose does in that instance. Uh, but I think one of the reasons he's so successful is because of his past experience and also because of the credibility of his personal character. You know, he's very holy and he's very popular and everybody knows how committed he is to the church. Yes, that is a that is such a vivid image, and there's some great art around that of having this Ambrose in his full bishop garments, his vestments, his mitre, his staff, and forbidding the emperor to enter the church and commanding him to repent and believe in the gospel, to ask forgiveness for his sins. And it is an incredible scene of courage. And there's something about when we see a, a good shepherd, we see our bishops, we see our pastors and our priests be brave and courageous and preach the gospel in season and out of season, as St. Paul says, that even in difficult times, that the, the good news is for everyone. And even the, the hard parts of the gospel, which means that I need to recognize that I'm a sinner and I need repentance. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, you know, he continues to do this throughout his life. Uh, there's a number of times later when the emperor is more favorable to that Aryan side, that Aryan camp, and they ask um, Ambrose to hand over some of the churches for to the Aryan bishops or to the Aryan side, and he refuses to do it. And he says, "If you want to take me, you know, I'll go quietly. You want to arrest me? You want to punish me? That's fine. But I will never hand over the property of the church." Uh, and so again, it's that combination of this witness of what he's willing to sacrifice personally allows him to, to sort of defend the church and, uh, and really benefit the church. In the time remaining, what I'd like to reflect on is the importance of Ambrose in Augustine's life. Uh, here mm -hmm. at the Augustine Institute, we have a great devotion to St. Augustine, our patron, but that also leads us to have a great devotion to St. Ambrose, and he's played such a key and prominent role uh, in the life of Augustine. When I read the confessions, I have the confessions in front of me, I'm just in book five, and when he talks about coming to Milan and he meets the Bishop Ambrose for the first time, this servant of God, uh, not only a great eloquent man, as you mentioned, but also an eloquent speaker, but also a great man had character. I just want to read this line and we can reflect on it. That man of God received me as a father and as a bishop welcomed my coming. I came to love him, not at first as a teacher of the truth, which I had utterly despaired of finding in your church, but for his kindness towards me. And that's just so striking to me is that when we talk about the new evangelization, we talk about how do we share the faith with our friends and our families? We always want to have the right answers ready at our fingertips, at our tongue, ready to share that. And those are good things. And that's why you're watching Forum. That's why you watch other programs related to the faith so that you can be formed. But what Augustine is most moved by first and foremost is Ambrose's charity, his Christian mm -hmm. charity, his character as a, as a human person. And in fact, it's his charity that then opens the door for the truth to enter Augustine's heart. Right? Augustine, the reason he initially goes to Ambrose is because of this eloquence. And he stays because of his charity and he's converted because he hears the truth. And so really having the full package, you know, having a holy life and being intellectually and spiritually prepared is what leads to the conversion of Augustine is one of the key uh, pieces of the puzzle. And, to, you know, so really Augustine is part of Ambrose's gift to the church, which is a very, a, a very big gift. I, I consider him a very big gift. Augustine is my patron. Uh, and so it's just, just really wonderful. And Ambrose is actually the one who baptizes Augustine. Uh, and the kind of cool historical continuity, we have um, the records of uh, the 
what what Ambrose would have preached to the catechumens. And so we actually kind of know exactly what Augustine would have heard. We have his preaching on the sacraments and his preaching on the creed, uh, how he handed the faith on to the catechumens, Augustine being one of those catechumens. That's wonderful. And, and that's actually, a, Ambrose is very readable, just like Augustine in so many ways. And so I encourage you, an action point that you can take away from this is to go and find some of the reflections of Ambrose, especially his teaching on the Psalms. It's really beautiful. Uh, I think you'd be surprised if you went through your hymn book at church, how many, how many hymns that he composed were turned into music that we still sing, uh, especially mm-hmm. in this Advent season as well. Um, one of the things that, and if you're, if you're looking where to go for that, uh, newadvent.org is a wonderful website that has many of the fathers of the church, um, the license free, free to download, to, to read online. Mm-hmm. Anything, you know, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say on the hymns, that's something that Ambrose is really known and famous for, for, for composing hymns. And there's a legend that one of his most famous hymns was kind of uh, spontaneously composed as Augustine was being baptized. That probably didn't quite happen. But Augustine does refer to how moved he was by the chanting of the Psalms uh, at, at the church in Milan and how that was that really affected him as a new Christian. And also he cites many of Ambrose's hymns later on in his life, in his, in his homilies and, and these kinds of things. And so uh, another, in, in addition to being very learned and very holy, he also was very sensitive to the pastoral needs of his flock um, and had liturgical reforms to allow them to appreciate their worship even more. And I've been blessed in my own life to go to Milan and there's a beautiful cathedral there now, but underneath the cathedral is the original cathedral that Ambrose would have been the pastor mm-hmm. of. And they have the baptismal font that Augustine would have been baptized in, the space he would have been baptized by Ambrose. And as, as uh, Dr. Klein mentioned, the, the story, which I like, uh, that they spontaneously prayed the Te Deum, which is a hymn that the, uh, that the church prays on major feast days in celebration of of salvation history, but also God acting in people's lives. And we see God acting in such a particular way in the life of Ambrose and Augustine. Think of the people that the Lord has put into your life. You might be the Augustine, you might be the Ambrose, but the Lord puts us in people's lives to bring them closer to himself. And so ask the Lord, how can I be a conduit of grace? What can I do to bring people to know you, to love you and serve you more faithfully in this world in order to be happy with you in the next? Again, thank you for your support of the Augustine Institute, especially through the Mission Circle. Thank you and God bless. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.